fitting in isn't belonging. Mm. And we, we fool ourselves into thinking if we just fit in, we'll belong. But we'll never have a deep sense of belonging until we are truly and deeply who we really are in ourselves, in our own skin. My name is Will Small. I'm a husband and a dad. And for the sake of my family and my community, I want to be a healthy man. Images on magazines would lead me to believe that means having ripped abs and a good paycheck. But I'm not satisfied with that story. Are you? Join me and my guests as we explore the idea of healthy manhood in the modern world. This is the Mankind Podcast. Father Rod Bauer is an Anglican priest, perhaps most known for the iconic sign at the front of his church on the main street of Gosford. You'll see it if you drive past, but it also gets heavy traffic online, proclaiming justice for the marginalised and calling out power in short, simple sentences. It's basically the original Twitter. But there's a lot more to Rod than the sign. He opened up his personal story to me. We spoke about loss and trying to fit in and the pathway towards a deep sense of identity and belonging. Also, if you listen to season one of Mankind, you've probably been missing hearing my friend Hannah on these episodes. So I gave her a call to check in and get her thoughts on the state of the world as well as some reading recommendations. The back third of this episode is that conversation. So make sure you stick around to hear that. But first, here's Rod, taking me back to where his story begins. Well, I grew up uh, in the bush, grew up in the Hunter Valley. Um, so being a man was uh, very much centred around um, physical strength, uh, stamina. It was a very, you know, like I said, a very physical existence. Uh, and there was even a, there was a uniform, really, for being a man. It, it involved, you know, RM boots and um, moleskin trousers and uh, cubras. And uh, so there was a... There was a whole uniform, there was a whole image, there was a whole lifestyle um, uh, about uh, physical strength and, and stamina and um, agricultural know-how, um, much of which I wasn't particularly interested in. And so very early in the piece for me there was a an experience of having to fit into a model that I didn't necessarily always resonate with. Some of it I liked and some of it was fun. But uh, there was that sense in, you know, as a young, a very young man, having to fit in. What were some of the things that made that difficult for you? Like what were some of the things that you were interested in or that kind of put you at odds with some of those models of manhood? Yeah, I was I was interested in books and reading and um not school. I didn't like school because that was another uh, sort of fitting in experience that I, I didn't really feel I belonged to. Um, and uh, so that was, you know, I can remember sort of my father saying, you know, stop reading those bloody books and get out here and do some work. Sort of yeah, thing. right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And um, so that was, yeah. So my early experience of modelling as a man was not something that always resonated with me, I'm I'm an adopted person, so uh, early in the piece there was these issues of um, identity also mm. swirling around in my mind. So I was a bit of a, a a sitting duck 
mm-hmm. for identity issues and having to fit into something that may not have been totally me. Yeah. Um, and and that played out in more devastating ways as I went through my teenage years. So, you know, people that are familiar with your work now probably look at you, like I look at you and think you seem very confident in who you are. You have a strong sense of identity and purpose in the world. Um, how did you get from that place as a young person, feeling like you struggled to fit in, to being someone who's sort of has a really a, a confident sense of being who you are authentically? About 50 grand's worth of therapy, mate. (laughs) (laughs) I I guess one of the other modelling things that I did take on in quite a devastating way uh, was the consumption of alcohol. Right. Uh, Men drank. Yeah. All the men went to the local pub on a um, Friday night and got blind basically and and that was sort of part of... Um, being a man. And so my dad died when I was 13 and I jumped into his skin. Mm. I can I can remember on the the afternoon he died, they were mustering cattle. I wanted to stay home and muster with the men and I wasn't allowed. I had to just go to school. I wasn't very happy about that. Yeah. <laughs> I was sulking like a you know, 13-year-old boy would sulk. Yeah. Anyway, when I got home that afternoon from school, they still hadn't finished the final drive and uh, the men were all standing around talking and I sort of, oh, no, I'll, I'll race uh, into the house, I'll get changed and I'll grab my horse and I'll be able to go on to the final drive. And one of the men sort of grabbed me and said that my father had been taken to hospital. Hmm. I kind of knew deep within me that something he died. But I rather than go and catch my horse, I got on his. Yeah, right. And as I look back now, I, what I was actually doing was saying, well, okay, now I am, you know, the boss, I am the man in the house kind yeah. of stuff. And at 13 that was a, a devastatingly bad thing to do. Yeah. Um, and actually people encouraged that, you know, you know, people say stupid things in situations like that, all, you know, yeah. well-meaning but stupid things and, and so that was affirmed, oh, you're the man of the house now sort of thing, which is a really silly thing to say to a 13-year-old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I accepted that and took on that. So I left school at 15 and so basically started drinking um, when I was 15 because that's kind of what you remember. I, I went into um, the day I left school, uh, we drove to Newcastle and I went to see uh, a friend of my father's who owned a butcher shop in, in um, Newcastle, and I, I knew from my father's experience that he always drank at a certain hotel after work. So I, here mm-hmm. I was, 15, walked into this pub, asked for a job. Um, he said, yeah, yeah, start 5 o'clock Monday morning and uh, and said, you want a beer? And I said, well, only 15. He said, mate, you, you, you're old enough to work, you're old enough to drink. And that started a, a kind of devastating I, process of me trying to be what I thought was a man. Mm. Uh, in that sort of yeah. sense, so um, it's a it's a really powerful image of you getting onto your dad's horse. Yeah, it and is. To me, it just speaks of, um, in some way, we all do that. Not necessarily our father, but we get onto the horse of the person who's gone before us. Yes, that isn't ours. Yeah, it's not ours to get on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, we've got to find our own horse, and that's yes. <laughs> and and um, but we kind of leave a shadow. 
of ourselves behind us that other people then feel like they've got to find their identity within that. Yeah. And that's part of what I hear and what you're saying is that challenge of breaking out of that, finding a sense of self. Um, You know, as you think now about being a man who is, we're all passing on stories of what we think it looks like to be a man. What would you like that to me for for those that aren't necessarily going to get on your horse? No one else can do that. But for young men that may be looking at someone like you, what's the story you want to pass down of? Get on your own horse. Don't get on. Yeah, don't get on. Don't get on your yeah. father's horse or your grandfather's or your, you know, someone else's. Uh, find, you know, I, I think the, the the fitting in. I mean, there's such pressure, I think, for young men uh, to fit into a certain model mm. um, that's being modelled to them, whatever that is. And you know, some may be more productive than others, but fitting in isn't belonging. Mm. And we, we fool ourselves into thinking if we just fit in, we'll belong. But we'll never have a deep sense of belonging until we are truly and deeply who we really are in ourselves, in our own skin. And it takes a while to find out who you are in your own skin. It doesn't happen overnight. But um, I would say you know, don't buy into the fitting in stuff. Mm. Um, and, in fact, when you are truly and authentically yourself, uh, you'll find that the true community opens up to you, mm. and you are part of something that's real and 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 sustainable in that sense. Um, but we we constantly get fed all all kinds of images and models that don't really quite resonate. But we say, oh, "Okay, I got to I got to fit in somewhere," mm. and, and so we do that. And it took me a a really long time um, because I'm an adopted person, as I said. Um, Identity is a, a real issue for me um, and um, and even joining the priesthood was in some sense a search for identity because it mm-hmm. came with a um, you know, ready-made uniform, a title, a place in community. You walk into any town, there's a, there's a little slot there for you to fit into, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but ultimately I found that, you know, while I'm still a priest, it's... It wasn't kind of who my true identity was. It's something deeper yeah. in there. Yeah. Um, and it took me a, probably about 30 years to find it. Yeah. So apart from $50,000 of therapy... What are some things people can do to help? And I'm not saying there might be a place definitely for seeking professional advice and help and I I do that and have no shame in it. It's fantastic. Um, But what are some some things, that and others, that can help people to develop that settled sense of self-identity? I I think to find a a place where you, you feel deeply at home and reflect on what that looks like and who else is around and, and people that you truly and deeply resonate with. I mean, we all know the experience that we laugh at jokes we don't think are funny. Mm. Um, and and that's a, a clear clear kind of sign that you're trying to fit in mm. to to somewhere that you don't really belong. Um, uh, wh- you know, what are the jokes that you laugh at that you you actually do think are funny? What what are some of the stories you hear people tell that you deeply resonate with? Even if you're maybe even not quite game to admit it <laughs> at the time, but that, that's sort of laying out a bit of a path for you to at least 
tentatively take little baby steps along and think, okay, this is resonating with me in a really deep way. And while that may not necessarily be a popular thing or, you know, know, something that makes me feel I'm fitting in somewhere, it may be the path that actually takes you to true belonging and to to true self. Yeah, that's great. The signs will be around you. Uh, Trust your heart. Yeah. Yeah, not, Not your head or your anxieties, your heart. I want you to think, Rod, if you could go back in this moment and uh, actually stand next to that 13-year-old version of yourself or even the 15-year-old version of yourself when he starts to get work and, you know, that, that young uh, version of Rod, if, if this version of you could go and sit with, sit with him, what would be some of the things that you would say? Oh, gee, um, that's a really hard question because even now I, I, I'm not sure I see that it was possible for me to take an easier path. Yeah, sure. I think the path that I took was a hard one, um, but possibly the one I I needed to take to mm-hmm. eventually find who I was. Um, if if I was sitting next to my 15-year-old self, um, I, I think I would, uh, I would want to... Bef- befriend me mm. and uh, and try and offer an alternative model of, of manliness at that stage. Now, I think my 15-year-old self probably would have rejected that, uh, but that's what I would, I would want to do. Yeah, there's something in that as well, just about, you know, the, um, the worst things that we can go through can actually turn out to be the very things that shape us and you wouldn't wish them on anybody but... It's an incredible process that if we do the work of growth, um, those things can be transformed. It's not something I would, certainly would have chosen or something that I would choose for anybody else, to be yeah. honest, um, but it seems to have been the, you know, the path that I had to take to get where I am today. Yeah, yeah. Do you have examples of people that you look to, and this can be historically or it can be in, in you know, the world today, that you just think they're doing it well? They're comfortable being who they are and they're telling a different story of manhood. Mm. I guess I'm a priest, so my, my starting point has got to be this wandering Galilean rabbi who, who um, um, actually, I, I think, um, modelled a, a form of humanity, not just manhood in that sense, but he happened to be a man, um, of being emotionally honest Mm. Um, and, uh, and and feeling the depth of emotion, uh, I think that was certainly something that I wasn't given permission to do when I was a you know a kid. Mm. You know, even in in terms of you know, my father's death, you know, just you know, you know get on with it, son. Mm. You know, stop, you know. So you wouldn't even allowed to cry at the funeral. So to be, you know, I, I see there an, an emotionally honest person, mm. um, a person of, of compassion. And um, and I think you know one of the issues that we're dealing with in our in our society today is how men treat women, mm. uh, and I see there a, a a model for treating women you know, as equals. Um, so that's the place I would start. Yeah. Um, I'm 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 not really good at um, uh, finding role models. I think I've had a a as I look back now. Because my father, well, uh, I never knew my my biological father. Uh, my father died, and I went on a bit of a search for fathers. Mm-hmm. 
um, for a long time. Uh, looking back now, uh, they weren't particularly good role models and and some of the priests that were early role models for me turned out to be devastatingly bad mm. and that's made me very wary of actually looking for, mm. uh, for role models. So it's hard to, hard to, to answer that question for me. Sure, sure. Uh, well, in many ways you are possibly someone that other people might might answer as someone who they see as telling a different story. Um, and I think one thing that stands out about you, Rod, obviously uh, for anyone who knows anything about you is whether or not they agree with you, you're somebody who has found things that you passionately believe in and you're willing to align your life and your words uh, with those deeply held beliefs. And I think that's a courageous thing, particularly in a world where we see a lot of examples of that trying to trying to fit in or, you know, laughing at jokes we don't find funny or all those examples of ways uh, that we kind of conform rather than speak out. You know, as you've, um, you know, engaged in conversations about some of the biggest issues we face, as you've tried to provoke and challenge further conversation, what are some of the lessons you've learned about navigating that kind of complex path? I think one of the lessons that I'm still learning, and, and even as we speak today, there's issues going on around us that are very easily to easy to jump into in something you're passionate about, and and actually miss the complexity of the issue. And um, and in a 24-hour news cycle, social media, Twitterverse, where you know you, your tweet lasts five minutes, and you've got to find another. One, that kind. Yeah. So when you when you're relying on social media uh, to communicate, it's really easy to to jump into a, a complex issue with a pretty superficial view. So it's it's important to sometimes maybe, you know, weigh in in such a way that leaves yourself room uh, to, to process new information. Um, and I don't think men do that very well. I, I think sometimes men are made up in a way that um, they paint themselves into a corner and, you know, say something that they're then they're not... They, they see changing their mind or developing their argument as a, as a sort of a weakness... Uh, or to say that I okay I was wrong I've I've rethought this now and I've I've come to another conclusion that that's not something that men I find do particularly easily. It's interesting that you say that actually because when I think about growing up and the way that my dad treated me. Uh, a thing that has really stood out to me, particularly since becoming a parent myself, is I can look back and see how many times my dad was willing to apologise or to say, I got it wrong, or to say, I should have done that differently. And whereas the stereotypical story might say that's a sign of weakness, that is an enormous sign of strength that I see Absolutely. in my father yes. that I want to be able to constantly do with my kids. Oh, geez, I got that wrong. Or, you know, I've learned more since we had that conversation or that interaction so I just want to affirm that I think that's a huge thing, being able to um, encourage people that that's a strong thing to be able to do, to leave room, to say this is where I'm at today, but I might not be here tomorrow and I'd appreciate you to be gentle with me yes. as I change and, and grow. Yeah. And, and unfortunately the, the media don't allow our politicians to do that. Um, the minute they change their mind, they're sort of pilloried for you know, flip-flopping or, or you know, being weak or indecisive, whereas in fact, 
that uh, if I re- if they receive new information, they should be able to change their mind. It's it's a part of good governance, and our society don't let our leaders do that, mm. and especially our men, uh, because they they feel that it's a it's a sign of weakness. When, as you suggest, it's actually a, a sign of intelligence, a sign of strength, yeah. sign of good leadership. You know, and good yeah, I mean, you're not you know. growing if you're not if you're not willing to be able to acknowledge that you got some things wrong. Then I think you're, you're acknowledging that you have stopped growing. That's a dangerous place to be. And and I I, I want to see a, a society that affirms that uh, that ability to to evolve, to change our minds, to accept new information, to say, but I was wrong. Yeah, uh, this is uh, I've changed my mind on that. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any thoughts right around you know like we kind of get tangled, I think, between some of these conversations we have can lean towards uh, kind of blind optimism and naive hope. But then sometimes we can kind of just lean into like despair and it can feel like, well, just throw the hands up, what can we do? How do you navigate sort of being honest about those real frustrations while maintaining a hope that as we talk and, and act and work together, we can actually envisage a better future? It's for, for me, it's all about shifting our mindset from a dualistic binary mindset, either, um, you know, black or white. You know, mm. it is, this, is, this has got to be either this or it's that. Uh, life's very, very rarely like that. And, um, you know, so it's easy if we have that um, binary kind of mindset, um, then, you know, it's all, you know, we, we're doomed, it's all going to sort of fall apart, we're all going to die. Uh, or you know, oh, isn't that lovely and everything? <laughs> uh, that's that's the kind of binary stuff. But a, a non-dualistic mindset will actually be able to allow those two things to come together and say, well, okay, this is really bad. Uh, let's take uh, the climate change issue for, for instance. If you look at the science, it's pretty scary. It's mm. really bad. But and we acknowledge that and we embrace that and we say, wow. This is this is devastating. This is catastrophic. Um, but then we have incredibly smart people, incredibly wise people, and I, I get to spend um, a fair bit of time these days with Year Twelve students in schools, and I uh, I never fail to come away from those encounters filled with hope, mm. um, because I I see really smart people really get it um, and who are able to engage in issues that are quite difficult. So if you pull those two things together in a, in a non-binary, <laughs> non-dualistic way, you can both acknowledge the difficulty but also acknowledge the potential we have to meet that. Uh, and for yeah. me that's, again, um, it, it's got to do with leadership, it's got to do with um uh, problem solving and and how you engage, not not denying um, difficult things, but also uh, embracing the, the possibilities that they can be met in a productive way. Yeah, that's great. I think that's so. It's it's like a really key piece to me as I think about this conversation about manhood. It's not just about a rejection of of one way. It's about adding in another way and being able to hold both. So when I think about my sons, I want them to be able to be quiet and confident. I want them to be able to be, you know, strong and gentle, you know, vulnerable and resilient. And I think that when we, the more we can embrace 
kind of paradox and allowing things to be two ways at once, um, the healthier these conversations can become for sure. And I mean, I guess you know, men have been around for a few million years, and and you know, we've got this far <laughs> as have women, um, and so we, you know, we in, in our tabloid world, we can sort of get sort of very negative and not see the positives or either way. Uh, and I think we've got a a you know a long evolutionary history to be thankful for to build on, but we are now in um, a, a time when we are reflecting deeply on some of what that means, uh, some of what strength means, and it and it means something different now to what it meant two hundred years ago. Mm. Um, we live in a different world, um, and so we need to reflect on you know what strength what physical strength means, what emotional strength means, and they are different things yeah. um, in, a, in a modern world where we live. Um, I, I think in a, in a world that was much more, more violent, you know, hundreds of years ago, uh, accessing emotions like we would want to do now would, may not have been a particularly helpful thing to do, uh, but now we're, we're, we're freer. To, to do those kind of things that men have ever been historically. Uh, and I think that's a great opportunity to, to evolve as beings to become uh, deeper and different. In yeah, yeah, for sure. One thing I think it's important in these conversations to, to come back to, I'm a big believer in the possibility of change. I think that we can change. I think that, you know, that your story that you've shared is a testament to that. Uh, but I also don't think change happens just because we talk about nice ideas. Uh, change happens when we start to actually do the small acts, the small repetitive acts over time that change the way that we think or act or live in the world. So for you, what are some of the, the practical things that you do, some of the rhythms or habits in your life that you find actually help you to stay a centred and grounded and healthy man? I, uh, I have people in my life that um, uh, challenge me on every level. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my wonderful partner in life, Kerry, uh, my wife, um, uh, she is the primary person that, that both challenges and cares for and nurtures and, uh, me um, and, uh, and is, who's, who is most honest with me. Mm-hmm. Um, often I don't like that very much. Sure. <laughs> she's, she's really devastatingly honest sometimes. But you recognise uh, that that's a good thing oh, to have oh, people look, that can honestly, be really honest. With, without, without Kerry, I wouldn't have been able to evolve into the person I am today. Um, but I, I, was, I also have some, a number of people, everything for some, you know, so quite, some, some quite influential, well-known people who I uh, spend some time with, uh, to the guy who sleeps on the veranda uh, of uh, of our office, and uh, and I'd have to say he is one of the most important people in my life because uh, he he sh- shows me you know, vulnerability you know, all the time. He is a really uh, rough time uh, and struggles with lots of things and. Um, I think he keeps me seeing another side of, of humanity and that's really important. So mm. I think all of those people in my life, uh, while I, I wouldn't say I do it in a particularly disciplined way, um, they 
constantly put before me um, the the complexity of humanity in in which I'm called to engage because that's part of my 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 job is to engage in the complexity of humanity. Mm. So um, I think that's what um, it enables me to 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 keep evolving. Yeah, that's great, and it just makes me think. It's really important that we're around people that are different to us. It's really important that we have people that are speaking into our lives that have very different life experiences. Um, the more we surround ourselves with people that look exactly the same, the more we close ourselves off to the growth that comes from being exposed to difference. And that's really hard in our little bubble world. Yeah. Uh, because I, I note, notice that, you know, when I, uh, my, my little bubble worlds are, you know, a fairly progressive little bubble. Um, live in and and whenever I at least acknowledge the the other side of the the ledger as having some valid argument I'll, I'll get attacked by my own bubble mm. uh, and that makes it really hard to um, you know, to to develop a, a balanced mm. kind of view and acknowledge that the other person with whom you disagree may actually have some wis- wisdom to offer you yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rod, I want to just thank you so much for your wisdom and your time today. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you. I just wonder if you have one final sentence or a couple of sentences of encouragement uh, to people that are honestly uh, grappling with these ideas, want to be involved in this conversation, maybe a little bit scared of what it might mean, the possibility of change, but what would you say to people that, yeah, in that position? I would say find yourself, be yourself. Love yourself and surround yourself with people that love you too. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Hannah Gearhart, good to see you. Good to be back. Getting pretty deep into season two of Mankind at this point. Mm. And uh, I've been having some amazing chats with a whole bunch of really cool guests. But... Definitely one of my favourite parts of the earlier episodes has been missing, and that is your voice and your wisdom. And so I wanted to call you up uh, partly as a way to redirect any new listeners who are just kind of catching up with this podcast. They need to go back and listen to the first five or so episodes where we finish each one with a great little chat together. And then also just for the OG listeners who are wondering... Where has Hannah gone? We needed we needed to just check in with you both, for both of those reasons. Send some people back to the early episodes and people that have been on this train the whole time. They're wondering what's happening in the world of Hannah. So in a couple sentences, what is happening in the world of Hannah? Well, pretty much the same as the last time we chatted where I'm just working. I'm on school holidays at the moment, so that's happy. And I'm still studying... Um, still parenting but all of those have just gotten a little bit more intense with our recent global pandemic so I feel like you know I'm talking with a little bit more um mental equilibrium at the moment but if you'd asked me a few weeks ago things were not going great and I was probably like the worst version of myself just overwhelmed and tired and trying to make sense of a constantly shifting planet but yeah so Mm. going pretty good considering yeah well you are um you're a very busy person and everything you do I think is wonderful 
but uh, that is part of the reason why you probably haven't been on recent episodes of this because I've been quite conscious of your <laughs> immense schedule and you're deep in PhD land and writing student books for, you know, students across, what is that, across Australia, some of this student book stuff you're doing? or New South Wales because we all like to control our own curriculum, so it's probably sure. just relevant to here, but yes. Yeah, well, you got a statewide, statewide presence there. <laughs> Thank you, yes, that's a, a great claim to fame. And you have a slightly international presence through this podcast. There's like 12 listeners in the U.S., couple in Canada, one or two in Sweden. So, so yeah, there you go. You're doing stuff everywhere. So my question for you, in the crazy chaos that has been 2020, the year where no one's plans went to plan, (laughs) has this, uh, this kind of overarching conversation that this podcast looks at around gender and health and kind of the shifting roles of men and women and other people in society has this been in your mind at all this year? Yes, yes. And you're right, like the things we've been talking about for a while and I've been thinking about for a long time, but like we were just talking about in the last few months, everything's changed. Um, and I was talking to a friend in Canada this morning actually um, and we are just like I was so struck by the weirdness of no one is absolved or, or, or free from this change. Like it's absolutely global and we're seeing that with a lot of the conversations happening in the world that if everything's changed then we've got to start having a hard look at things we can't ignore anymore. Um, I've been so struck by the progress of Black Lives Matter, uh, that movement and um, yeah just just addressing a lot of things happening in Australia as well. So I think like despite the horror we are seeing and there's some absolute horror and injustice and just a really frightening thing we're going through at the moment if there's any good to come out of it it's that we are reassessing um yeah who we are and what we stand for and and some of the negative patterns we've been in um Mm. but I think personally yeah like um I I was listening to a very good little clip of a very excellent person you had recently (laughs) on your clip I'm talking about that that excellent American Lance Gearhart oh yeah Um, Yep, yep, shout out to Lance. Um, And just uh, he was talking about the importance of connecting with people and having really honest, vulnerable conversations. And why I loved that, that's that's something we've been talking about for a long time, but I think that was just really representative of of what we're taking out of the season we've been in, um, that uh, we really need to be really purposeful in how we spend our time and how we connect with people um, and just make sure that we have, I don't know, very vulnerable, open connections with people where we can ask big questions and be our full selves and not just fill lives with the busy. So Mm. funny you mentioned before, like life does feel hectic, but we've been really actively trying to just cut out unnecessary busy. Mm. Um, And in all of that, it is just a reassessment of, like who are we, what do we stand for, how do we want to parent, Um, how do we want to model health to our kids because, like I said before, I was not my best self when I was home working full-time and trying to teach my year one child and my preschooler was bouncing off the walls. I was like, geez, this is not who I want to be. Um, And I guess what you were saying, gender and 
our roles and expectations of selves is, is all tied up in the big reassessment we're going through. Yeah. Oh, there's so much there we could talk about, isn't there? But <laughs> we're kind of coming out of it now, but that, that the like height of the, you know, restricted mainly being at home period, it, it really probably made a lot of us feel like, oh man, I got room to improve <laughs> in terms of, mm. you know, when, when you are with your closest relationships in close proximity more than you normally would be, I think it just brings up what's already there often. It's not like suddenly we have issues. It's like, oh, no, wait, I wasn't patient and now my patience, my lack of patience mm. has been revealed. It's not like a yeah, new thing. Yeah. yeah. And then out of that, I, this sort of similar connected thought is around isolation and what you were saying that kind of Lance was sharing. I was talking to a friend of mine recently who was sharing that uh, when all of the kind of physical distancing came in or the social distancing he was like, I've been social distancing for ages because I've got anxiety and I kind of isolate mm. myself from the world. So I've been practicing for this for so long, which was kind of a, a pretty sad thought, but it's just made me think, mm. yeah, one thing that this season, which had a heightened layer of isolation for many people, has revealed is that need for connection. And often I think when our relationships start to fracture or our gender roles are kind of restricted, you know, um, reductive versions of themselves it's often because they're lacking healthy connection vulnerability kind of being able to actually be who we are safely with other people absolutely yeah so um what would be your kind of i don't know your your hope as we reinvent a bit and as we as we kind of recalibrate you know kind of i'm interested in any just big picture visions you have for the future but maybe particularly around men, women, and, and increasingly I'm sort of wanting to include as well, you know, in my language, people that are gender non-binary or gender non-conforming. So just for all of us, what some of your hopes coming out of this? Yeah, I think I am just really struck by the fact that we are at this moment in time where we have a very clear option A and option B before us and before pandemics hit, we saw that the planet was not going down a particularly good path and it felt like there was no possibility of changing that. Um, and, and as we're watching footage of, of people having to lock down, nature starting to restore itself, and I think that's extraordinarily hopeful. Um, but part of me is also like, oh, well, humans, as soon as we can go back to normal, are just going to go back to their normal destructive ways. Um, so that's really really cynical isn't it but I guess we are still at that that moment where we can make some really conscious choices and my hope is that we are just taking stock and not just charging ahead as we normally do but thinking well what do we want the future to be um, in terms of climate conservation but more specifically to what we're talking about here it's if if we are taking that moment to reassess I want us to think about what would this next stage look like in the best possible way and I think it would be hey like we're pretty intolerant and we're pretty unthinking and we really do just act without questioning motives or why am I thinking like this or am I just believing this because that's what other people are telling me to and I'm not really going to have any moment to be introspective and reflective 
Um, I've been seeing a lot of posts on, on social media about how actually it's okay to say I don't have all the answers or thanks for bringing your point of view. I didn't realise that. Now I'll have to have a think about how that's changed my mind or mm. I have a lot to learn here. And I think we're seeing that with, with how we're assessing our inherent racism as, as societies, but I think we should be extending that as well to how we view gender and identity and value. And I, I just would really hope that we, we literally have the time at the moment um, that it wouldn't just be a, the world is changing, I can't wait till I can go back to a cafe and eat normally with my friends. I hope it would also be an opportunity to think I've thought a lot of really destructive things or I've, I've conformed to a lot of really destructive patterns of behaviour or expectations of gender representation um, or even just really sexist, dodgy beliefs about people that haven't been challenged. Mm. Um, I would just really like us to do some really deep thinking and reassessment and come into this next stage of humanity, thoughtful, slower, reflective, empathetic people. And it sounds quite idealistic, but we have that capacity mm. and we're seeing how when we stop for a second, things pretty much instantly go better. Um, and that's what I'm hoping we can do in all of the areas of life at the moment. Yeah. Well, I'm, I think a bit of idealism <laughs> is, is needed at times, right? Um, mm -hmm. Particularly in a year like 2020, oh, <laughs> we need a little bit of, a little bit of hope. So Absolutely. thank you for that. Now you are the most prolific reader I know, probably one of the most uh, prolific readers on the planet, particularly given the amount of spare time you must have for leisurely consuming of literature. But I did want to know if you have any book recommendations and I was kind of, uh, I kind of prepared you for this by saying maybe if we could tier it, people that don't do a whole lot of reading or haven't done any reading in this kind of like gender kind of world, would you have like an entry level recommendation? And then people that are kind of pretty far down the path, they're already pretty conscious of this stuff and they maybe want to read something that's a little bit next level. Do you have any, anything for us? Oh, I do. I do. I've tried to limit and I've, <laughs> I've kept the list of things I've read recently just because they're fresh in my head. So probably for an entry level, if we're talking about um, the state of gender equity in Australia, I recommend Annabelle Crabbe's The Wife Drought. And if you're in for a shorter read, um, she recently released a quarterly essay called Men at Work. I think is amazing just about our roles as parents and how um, not only are women missing out by the expectations that women are default parents but, but fathers are missing out too on quality time with kids and, and relationship and connection. Mm. I've got a few here. I didn't tear them as well as I could because they're, they're all amazing. Um, but another approachable text would, well, a couple of texts would be Lindy West's Shrill and the Witches Are Coming. And The Witches Are Coming is an extraordinary recent release about um, how, you know, women who have opinions and voices have been seen as this othered witchy kind of figure mm -hmm. um, and she's subverting that to talk about us um, reclaiming power and reassessing the mess that the world is in and actually doing something about it. So 
She's, um, I wrote about her recently in my thesis, like, it's like having a conversation with a best friend who just sucker punches you every so often. Right. Through conversational yep. fun, but like really pithy, excellent writing. Mm. Um, Clementine Ford's Fight Like a Girl and Boys Will Be Boys. I know you've read um, one or both of those, just mm. really. Yeah, I've um, read Boys Will Be Boys. Yeah, important works, aren't they? Yeah. Um, and I've been reading um, quite a lot about um, the Harvey Weinstein case um, and the women who came out and, and fought against him. So my favourite of those was She Said by Megan Tui and Jodie Cantor, just talking about, you know, the importance of listening to women and giving voice and that if we took women more seriously then we wouldn't let predators be as, you know, prolific and unchecked as they have been. Mm. Um, and a favourite Australian writer of mine is Maxine Beniba clark who wrote a book called The Hate Race. And even though its primary focus is on um, race issues and, and her experience growing up as an African-Australian, it still talks a lot about gender and her experience of being a marginalised woman in Australia. It's, it's a really sobering and, and powerful read. Um, but is this too many or can I just add one more? Add one more for sure. <laughs> and I'll put um, I'll put all of these in the show notes. So if anyone's listening and they want to kind of go back, there'll be links to these. Absolutely. Um, so my final one is is not by a woman, which feels a bit controversial because um, I've, I've made a really purposeful choice in recent years to just primarily focus on women writers and especially Australian women writers. So I've got the Australian writer here but not the female, but it's Tim Winton's The Shepherd's Hut. Um, mm. There is a very big language warning on this one. Um, but I like that Winton, who is one of my all-time favourite writers, is trying Same. to address toxic masculinity. Um, and so even though it's quite a confronting and um, brutal read i think mm. the issues he raises about our expectations of, of what it is to be men and reassessing identity is really key so that's my list for this evening but i can always add more if that is wonderful thank you so much i personally think you know just everything at the moment is kind of a reminder that the more voices that we uh, allow to speak to us and particularly voices that represent um, some of the different positions that we can come at these discussions from. Um, mm. It takes a bit of conscious effort, but it can change us hugely from the inside out. And even like a book like Boys Will Be Boys by Clementine Ford, I read that. It was a very challenging read. It wasn't an easy read for me to, uh, I guess, grapple with, but some of the conversations that came out of that between me and my wife and other friends, like it was actually, um, yeah, profoundly impacting book Absolutely. so i'm going to hit some more on that list and would encourage anyone listening um to go check those out you know you can either get an audiobook version or the old paper or kindle <laughs> or whatever you're into mm-hmm. awesome well thank you so much hannah uh will we see you again on mankind i would love to come back good excellent well thank you for giving us a little bit of just a little bit of that hannah goodness in amongst everything that's going on And uh, we will chat to you again on a future episode, hopefully in the not-so-distant future. That would be wonderful. Thanks for having me, Will. This podcast has been proudly brought to you by the Central Coast Council and developed by Lead by Story. 
Help us grow the conversation by giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode around on your social media. I'd love to hear from you. What's your experience of manhood in the modern world? Drop me a message on Instagram or at leadbystory.com.au and let's have a chat. Catch you next time on Mankind.